Let us pray together. The Lord is my shepherd. I like nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for You are with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, Lord, your goodness and love will follow me, follow us all the days of our lives, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, that Lord, that God, you are our shepherd. God, you are our leader. You are our master. Father, we want to thank you for allowing us to be in the house of the Lord to worship you and to give you all the glory and praise. Lord, I pray now, God, I pray as we transition to the message, I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts for those who are listening here today, Lord, may be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, for Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. So God, we surrender our hearts to you with humility. We come to you with thanksgiving. Lord, this service is not about us, but it's all about you. It's about giving glory to your name, to the one, to the King of kings, to the Lord of lords. We surrender our hearts. We surrender our crowns. We lay down our rights before you, O Lord. So have your way within us. Speak to us, Lord, for we are desperate and we're hungry and we're thirsty and we are listening, Lord. We thank you. We love you. We pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, and we pray. And God's people pray. Amen and amen. Uh, God bless you, everyone. <laughs> Let's just take a moment to greet uh, one another at this time. <laughs> Reverend Jason and someone really great to a blessing to, to have you here with us. Um, let us continue on today with our service. And the title of today's message is called Authentic Christianity, the series we've been on. Yoon uh, Chisani, And the title is called The Rejected King Saul Introduced, Part 1. The Rejected King, Authentic Christianity Series. Saul Introduced, Part 1. Now the question is, how does God choose his people for his service? There's a group called For Him, letter four, For Him, and the song is called The Measure of a Man. And in this song it says, the world, this world can analyze and size you up and throw you on the scales. They can IQ you and run you through their rigorous details. They can do their best to rate you and they'll place you on the charts and then back it up with scientific smarts. But there's more to what you're worth than their human eyes can see. Oh, I say the measure of a man is not how tall you stand, how wealthy or intelligent you are. Because I found out the measure of a man, God knows and understands, and this is the key. It says, for he looks inside to the bottom of your heart and what's in the heart defines the measure of a man. I'll say it again. For he looks inside to the bottom of your heart. And what's in the heart defines the measure of a man. What is the true measure 
What is the measure that God chooses his people for his service? The worth of a person. Is it strength? Is it how tall you are? Is it speed? Is it beauty? Is it the most intelligent? But in this song, and as we know in the scripture, that it says it is the heart. It is God defines us by the heart of the person. It's the heart that defines the measure of the man, of the woman. The world chooses according to who is the best, who is the most beautiful, who is the smartest, who is the brightest, who is the fastest, but not God. God chooses those who are humble, who desire, who are willing, who are choosing, who choose him, who worship him in spirit and truth. God chooses those who raise their hands up and say, God, it is me. He chooses those who fear him and those who seek him and worship him and who desire to be used by him. He chooses the available. Regardless of how great we are physically, worldly, our title, it doesn't matter. How does God measure a person? Again, the song What's, what's inside the heart? The heart defines the measure of the man. And now, we're going to be introducing a new character, and his name is Saul. But before we go over Saul, let's just quickly go over and read chapter 7 and chapter 8, just to refresh our memory. So it says in 1 Samuel chapter 7, specifically verse 13 to 17, it says the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel, and Israel delivered the neighboring territory from the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. Verse 16, from year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah, where his home was, and there he also held court for Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord. And we see that throughout Samuel's lifetime, he devoted his life. As his mother Hannah dedicated Samuel, he went back and he went back to Ramah. He always continued. He stayed in his roots and he stayed faithful to God. And therefore, God blessed him and God used him as Israel's leader, as Israel's prophet, as the priest for all the days of his life, it says in verse 15. And then what happens in, in chapter 8? Let's go on. Israel, they asked for a king. And this is where we are introduced. We'll be introduced with a character named Saul. So Israel, they want, to be, they want a king. They want to be like every other nation around them. They want a king. God is their king, but they want an earthly king, an earthly figure king, lowercase k, king. And it says in verse 1, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel. And the name of his second son was Abijah. And they served at Beersheba. But his sons did not follow his ways. That's important. His sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Who does that remind you of? Hophni and Phineas. So what we see here, it doesn't matter who your father is. It doesn't matter who your mother is. It doesn't matter what family you come from. It doesn't matter what legacy you come from. 
It's about the individual's decision whether you want to serve God or not. And it says they perverted justice in verse 3. So all the elders, verse 4, of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel Ramah, verse 5. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but have they, they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly, and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. Again, when they asked for a king, it says Samuel was displeased. Samuel's not displeased because he's taking it personally. He's not displeased because he's offended, but he's offended on behalf of God. Again, God is God. There's, he doesn't need our help. But again, what breaks God's heart is breaking Samuel's heart. And God gives him warning. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons, make them serve with his chariots and horses. They will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves, and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will be become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. And take a look how they respond. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. They refused. No, they said. We want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, everyone go back to your own town. Amen. You guys getting tired? I have one more. Now, chapter 9, the title says, Samuel anoints Saul. It says this, starting verse 1, there was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abel, the son of Zerar, the son of Bekrath, the son of Aphia, of Benjamin. Kish had a son named Samuel, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. In other translations, his son Saul was the most handsome man in Israel. Really good looking. Verse 3, Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father, Kish were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, 
take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim, through the area around Shalisha, but they did not find them. They went on into the district of Shalim, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but they did not find them. Verse 5, when they reached the district of Zuf, Saul said to the servant who was with him, Come, let's go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But the servant replied, Look, in this town there is a man of God. He is highly respected, and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. Saul said to his servant, If we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered him again. Look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God so that he will tell us what way to take. Formerly in Israel, if someone went to inquire of God, they would say, come, let us go to the seer. Because the prophet of today used to be called a seer. Verse 10. Good, Saul said to his servant, come, let's go. So they set out for the town where the man of God was. As they were going up the hill to the town, they met some young women coming out to draw water. And they asked them, is the seer here? It's talking about the prophet. Is Sam they're looking for Samuel. Is Samuel here? He is, they answer. He's ahead of you. Hurry now. He has just come to our town today, for the people have a sacrifice at the high place. As soon as you enter the town, you will find them before he goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not begin eating until he comes, because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Go up now, you should find them about this time. Verse 14, they went up to the town, and as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming toward them on his way up to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed this to Samuel. About this time tomorrow, I'll send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anoint them ruler over my people Israel. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for they, their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? I am the seer, Samuel replied. Go up ahead of me to the high place, for today you are to eat with me, and in the morning I will send you on your way and will tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line? Verse 21, so I answer, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? Is not my clan the least of all the clans of tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Again, you read this and you think he is a humble individual, but that is not the case. This is not a sign of humility, but it's a sign of him being inferior, feeling inferior. And you'll see all throughout Saul's life, this is his Achilles heel. He always feels inferior. He always feels like he has to prove himself to people. He is a people pleaser. 
He is not a God pleaser. Remember, confidence is different from arrogance, right? Humility is not, oh, God, I am like warm. I don't deserve to be used by you. Confidence and courage is knowing that you have been chosen by God, that you are a God's child, and you act and you enter his presence confidently because we have been saved by grace. And was it not also mentioned in verse 1 that his father was a man of standing? When it said his father was a man of standing, he was, not only was he handsome, the most handsome man in Israel, right? Would you not want that, Ronnie, to be the most handsome man? to be the tallest, head taller than everyone else. He came from a rich family. It says his father was a man of standing, and he also had donkeys and servants. When you have donkeys and servants, it means that he was really well off. So why is he saying this? But am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? Is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Verse 22, we're almost finished. Then Samuel brought Saul and his servant into the hall and seated them at the head of those who were invited. About 30 in number, Samuel said to the cook, bring the piece of meat I gave you, the one I told you to lay aside. So the cook took up the thigh with what was on it and set it in front of Saul. Samuel said, here is what has been kept for you. Eat, because it was set aside for you for this occasion, for the time I said I have invited guests. And Saul dined with Samuel that day. Verse 25. After they came down from the high place of the town, Samuel talked with Saul on the roof of his house. They rose about daybreak, and Samuel called to Saul on the roof, Get ready, and I will send you on your way. When Saul got ready... He and Samuel went outside together. As they were going down to the edge of the town, Samuel said to Saul, Tell the servant to go on ahead of us. And the servant did so. But you stay here for a while, so that I may give you a message from God. Amen. Whenever a genealogy is introduced in the Bible, the writer is revealing to us that someone important is going to be mentioned. So it's reminding us as readers to pay attention. So in the description in the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 9, we see the description of Saul. Saul was what? Letter A, he was tall, rich, and handsome. Verse 1 and 2 tells us that. He was a Benjamite, a man of standing. He comes from a father who was well, well known. It says he was handsome as young man could be, meaning his son, Saul, was the most handsome man in Israel. And he was head taller than anyone else. We also, we also know that he was rich because we see in verse 3, the donkeys belonging to Saul's fathers, Kish, were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, the father, take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So again, having donkeys and servants was a symbol of wealth. So he was filthy rich. He was tall, rich, and handsome. And that was the description that the Bible gives us. But what is important is that the Bible doesn't commend anyone for their physical attributes. Physical attributes has nothing to do with anything when God chooses us for his service. But the Bible, the writer, he gives us this description, a physical description of this man. And right away you would think, oh wow, he's amazing. He's the perfect candidate for the king. Let's go on, letter B. He was incompetent. 
He was an awful caretaker of his father's belongings. Let's take a look at verse 4. He went to all these places, Ephraim, Shalisha, but it says they did not find. It was not there. They did not find. He was not able to find the animals. The most important people in the Bible that God used in the Old Testament, they were good caretakers of animals, of shepherds. Moses was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. They were all shepherds. But we see right here, right away, even David later, we're going to see later in the later chapter when David is introduced, when Saul goes and he goes to his downfall, we see David. What is David doing in the beginning of the description? He is found shepherding his father's flock. He was a good shepherd. But it says here, the description it gives in verse 4, did not find them. They were not there. They did not find them. He was a terrible problem solver. He was not responsible. He wasn't ready. He didn't know what he was doing. Let us see. He was a quitter. Verse 5, what does he say? Come, let's go back. Or my father is going to worry, be more worried about us than the donkeys. Let's go back. I quit. I can't do it. Letter D, he was spiritually clueless. If you remember back in verse 18 to 19, so approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, what does he say? Would you please tell me where the seer's house is? And what does Samuel say? I am the seer. Samuel is the most popular man in Israel. And Samuel is clueless. He has no idea who Samuel was. Everybody knew. He only lived a, a stone throws away. Of course he should have known. He should have known. It's like going to New York, Manhattan. And then you see President Trump and you say, excuse me, sir, do you know where the Trump Tower is? How can you not know who Samuel was? Everybody else knew. The servant knew. Everyone knew, but he was the only one. It seems like he's the only one in this picture where he is spiritually lost spiritually blind, oblivious, unaware, ignorant, and lost, clumsy, aloof, uninterested, not my responsibility. How can you not know who you are speaking to? It says in the IVP commentary of Old Testament, it says, it is intriguing that Saul, who lives only a stone's throw away from Samuel's hometown and within circuit of Samuel's territory, appears ignorant of this naturally renowned figure. So we see right away from the description in 1 Samuel chapter 9, the reality is that Saul, yes, he looked good. He looked perfect on the outside. His resume was, it looked good. Physically, he looked good. But how removed he was spiritually before God. And God was warning them, listen, you wanted a king? Be careful what you ask for. The writer is trying to teach us that Saul is picture perfect in the eyes of the world. And again, the world chooses how? Smartest, the most beautiful, fastest, the brightest, the best. Those who are rich, those who have all the network, the connections. If you got the look, you're all set. You're on Instagram, you're on social media. You have the body, you have the look, you have the charisma, then you're set. But there's a difference between the worldly standard versus godly standard. 
and the world places a huge emphasis on how you look and how and what you have and in the network and the connections you have. But you'll see quickly the shift from the writer, from the description of Saul, that how lost Saul was, how far from perfect Saul was, hinting to us as readers that your earthly resumes are nothing. Saul looked good and impressive on paper. On the outside, he was perfect, but inwardly, was he? Was he the right candidate? Was he the right person for the job? Let's go on with our main point, starting with point number one. Your worldly recognition means nothing. Your worldly recognition, your accomplishments, your acknowledgments, your exploits, it means nothing in God's eyes. Your worldly accomplishments and your outward appearances, it amounts to nothing. So what if Saul was tall, rich, and handsome? Verse 3 and 4 tells us that he couldn't even find the donkeys. He was not a responsible individual. He was not capable. He could not find them, did not find them, it says in verse 4. It says, were not there. He did not find them. He was not able to finish the task that the father had asked him to do. And not only that, he, he wanted to quit. He was quick to quit. Meaning he was not a, a, he was not a good shepherd. Like I said, the most significant, significant leaders in the Bible... They were shepherds, and they were good caretakers of God's sheep. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, not Joseph, because Joseph, he was the one in Egypt and in prison. But we see even David. And again, like I said earlier, the intro of David is he's attending the flocks in the field. Psalm 23:1 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I like nothing, just like the prayer that I said in the beginning. John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It says in Isaiah 40, 11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And these leaders were always known and noted for their shepherding of taking good care of his people. And if Israel is God's people, then will not God choose a king who will be a good shepherd, who will be a good caretaker of his people? But we see Saul, he was not the kind of guy, he was not the kind of leader that God was looking for. And this was a foreshadowing in verse 3 and 4 when he couldn't find the donkeys. This is a foreshadowing of Saul's leadership and how eventually, foretelling of how he will lead God's people, that he will lead lacking compassion and love. Let's continue, verse 5 to 6. When they reached the district of Zuf, Saul said to the servant who was with him, Come, let's go back, or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and start worrying about us. But what happens with verse 6? The servant is not quick to quit. It says in verse 6, But the servant replied, Look, in this town, there's a man of God. He is highly respected. And everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he will tell us what way to take. Again, Saul wants to quit. He's quick to quit. He's a quitter. 
But the servant is not. The servant is the one that comes with the idea. The servant was the one who knew that there was a man of God named Samuel in the area. Not Saul. Even the servant was saying, hey, let's inquire God for help. Spiritually, again, Saul was clueless. Verse 7 through 8, Saul said to his servant, if we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? He's not even prepared. What do we have? What can I give him? He's, he doesn't know how to look for the donkeys. He's wealthy, but he, he's not prepared. He has nothing to give. What do we do? What do we do? He doesn't know what to do. The future king doesn't know what to do. Verse 8, the servant answered him again. Look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God so that he will tell us what way to take. He's saying, look, look. And he says it twice. Look, I have an idea. And the servant is prepared. Saul is not. The servant has the offering. Saul has nothing but doubt. He has no plan. In the beginning, Saul appears to, again, he he seems to have everything. Tall, rich, and handsome, comes from a good family. But actually, the Bible is teaching us that he actually has nothing. Spiritually, he has, he is clueless. You may look good on the outside, but the outside is not everything. You look good on paper, but inside you lack in many ways. So again, point number one, your worldly recognition means nothing. Point number two, God always makes a way. God always makes a way. When God chooses us, he always makes a way for us. Remember, Saul couldn't find the donkeys, but eventually he is able to because of divine help, divine encounter. He's able to meet Samuel by divine openings that God brings. It's a clear sign. Yes, Saul is not qualified, but God has still chosen him. It is a clear sign that God's hand is behind everything in this story, just like the book of Esther. God is not mentioned once in the book of Esther, but we know in the book of Esther that God is the one orchestrating everything to save the Israelites from genocide. It's a clear sign that God is orchestrating behind the scenes. Let's take a look at verse 10 to 15. Good. Saul said to his servant, come, let's go. So they set out for the town where the men of God was. As they were going up the hill to the town, they met some young women coming out to draw water, and they asked them, is the seer, again, the prophet, the seer means the one who sees. Is he here? Verse 12, yes, they answered. He's ahead of you. Hurry now. He has just come to our town today. For the people have a sacrifice at the high place. As soon as you enter the town, you will find them before he goes out to the high place to eat. The people will not begin eating until he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Go up now. You should find them about this time. They went up to the place, went up to the town, and as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming toward them on his way up to the high place. Uh, let's continue. Uh, let's go to verse 16. About this time, tomorrow I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin, anointed ruler over my people. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people, for their cry has reached me. When Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, 
This is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. We see here Saul versus Samuel. Samuel, he knows everything. Even though he's not in that situation, God speaks to him. Samuel, he knows the situation. He even knows the things of the situation that's happening with Saul. Saul, on the other hand, he is clueless. And we see here that there are no coincidences in God. Him finding these ladies, asking them the question, Samuel being in the same region, same area, in this particular moment, in this particular time, it is not a coincidence in God. Pastor Piper said, and I said it last week and I quote it, he says, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, and you may be aware of three of them. And we know about Romans 8, 28, that in the, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And we see that it's not an accident here that they go ahead and they encounter Samuel. And the word here, govern in verse 17, has a double meaning. It could either mean to lead or to hinder and imprison. But the question is, is Samuel, is Saul going to govern in a way where he's leading his people like a good shepherd or will he hinder and imprison his people. Remember the warning in chapter 8. You ask for a king, he's going to take a tenth of your land, he's going to turn your daughters into bakers, and he's going to, and you're going to cry out to me for relief from the king, but I will not answer you on that day. And even then, the people refused to listen. They said, no, we still want a king. God is saying, you wanted a king? You wanted a handsome king? You wanted to be like every other nation around you? Okay, I will grant that request. But he will govern you, meaning he will hinder you. He will imprison you. For that is what you have asked for. That's why we have to be careful what we pray for, what we ask for when we pray to God. Because God may just give us what we ask, even though it is not good for us. God will grant our request, but he will also judge us according to our request. Why? Because that was not part of God's plan. Saul, again, he's clueless, 18 to 20. Um, You know, I think 18 to 19 is really funny. If you guys really enjoy reading the Bible, I just think it's really funny because I know a member (laughs) who would do this in our church. Like Saul approached Samuel in the gateway. He's literally speaking to the prophet, right? Samuel, the most renowned, famous person in Israel. Saul approached Samuel in the gateway and asked, would you please tell me where the seer's house is? And then he's like, I am the seer. That's me. Samuel replied, go up ahead of me to the high place for today you are to eat with me. And in the morning I will send you on your way and I will tell you all that is in your heart. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, how does, how does Samuel even know about the donkeys? For God spoke to him. Do not worry about them. They have been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned? If not to you and your whole family line. Again, point number two, God always makes a way. Even though Saul was spiritually lost, he was spiritually clueless, God, in a supernatural way, he allowed everything to be finished. 
the donkeys were found, Samuel found, uh, Saul found, the seer, Samuel, and everything was good. But Saul, he still has no idea what's going on. The writer is showing us that in the beginning, yes, he was tall, rich, and handsome. It was good, but now it's revealing to us that he is not that bright. Yes, he is chosen, but he is not the right man for the job. He will not shepherd, and he will not lead the nation well. Samuel, as a man of God, he knew everything, but everything happened according to God's plan. And we see here that God chooses, still chooses Saul to be Israel's number one, first king. Yes, Saul was far from perfect, but he was chosen by grace, which leads to point number three. It is by grace alone. It is by grace alone. God chooses his people by grace, by grace, by grace. Saul was not qualified, but God still in his grace chose Saul. It says in 21, Saul answered, But am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Again, this was not a sign of humility, but of him feeling inferior. It was pride. Right? Because at the end of the day, when we come before God, and this used to happen to me a lot often when I was young, when I would feel guilty, and I, I would know that God, he forgives me, he forgave me, but I have a hard time forgiving myself. And sometimes I would lose sleep all night with the guilt and the shame. And, you know, in that sense, it's pride because I'm telling God, your forgiveness, your sacrifice on the cross is not enough. In fact, my feeling of guilt, my feeling of shame is greater than you. If God has chosen us, if he has chosen you, then we must enter his presence with confidence, knowing that our sins have been forgiven. But we see here, yes, he was the smallest tribe of Israel, the Benjamite, but he was still chosen by the grace of God. And we see that God chooses his people by grace. And it is an important reminder that you and I, as we go on and we, as we study in the life of Saul, you know, people always say, I want a mentor, I want a mentor, I want to be under a good mentor. But sometimes the best teacher is being under someone who is the worst, the worst mentor, the worst leader, because you learn what not to do at the same time. And I hope and I pray that as we go on, as we continue on in this series of authentic, genuine Christianity, as we go on and we speak on the life of Saul and later we see the life of David, that we will learn and understand what not to do and what to do. And if we ever mimic the life of Saul, may we come to God in repentance and turn to him and remind ourselves today that it is by grace alone it is not by our works or by our accomplishments that he has chosen us, but he chose us according to his grace. God chooses his people by grace. It is a beautiful reminder to you and to me, all of us, regardless of our age, where we are in our life, 
It is a wonderful reminder that we are chosen by grace, that we must turn to God with humility. And at this time, can we just turn to our neighbor and say, you are chosen by grace. When God calls you, and when God called you, it was by his grace. And he empowers us with his Holy Spirit. And you'll see in chapter 9, chapter 10, uh, chapter 11, you'll see that Saul, he does great things for God. You know, God empowers him with the Spirit. He is able to bring prophetic words and do amazing things. But we see that at the end of the day, that is not everything. But may we learn from the life of Saul how to walk and how to live, especially in this dark times that we're living in in this generation. Yes, everything looks good. Yes, we are the most comfortable generation right now with technology, everything we have. But this is the most distracted and far away from God generation. May we continue to come and seek after God in this self-indulgent generation where we are all about taking selfies, all about ourselves, all about me, all about my feelings, my emotions. But may we humble ourselves and turn to God and look to him. When God calls us, he empowers us with the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to close with this, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. And a lot of people, they just stay with verse 8 to 9. And we just stay there. It sounds beautiful. It's by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. That's beautiful. That's good. But a lot of people, including me, we forget and we we lose focus and we take out verse 10. And verse 10 is very important. It says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are what? God's workmanship, it says in other translations. We are called to be used by Him to do the good work that He has called you to do in this one life that you have. It doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how old we are. We are in a place where God has called us and we must be faithful and be faithful by the grace that has been given to us. We are His workmanship. We are His handiwork that God created us in advance from the beginning for us to do. And if we have a relationship with Christ, we are called to live a life all the way until we take our final breath here on earth. We give the best that we can. You fall and we make mistakes every single day get right back up and you do it again you get back in the fight and you get back in the race and we do it over and over and over and over again why because we have one life and one chance to live in this life in this one life that we have when we choose to serve him with everything that we have you guys ever watched the movie jumanji the movie not the first one original in the 90s, the recent one with Kevin Hart and The Rock, Johnson. And anyways, there's a scene, and if you know the premise of the movie, uh, in the game, I'm not talking about in real life, when they enter the game, they have how many lives, Arlene? <laughs> three? Yeah, three. They have three lives. So it's funny because Kevin Hart, he dies, and then he comes back again, and he has two lives, and then one, 
third life, you're really that you're out of the game. But in the movie, Jumanji, they have three chances and they're out of the game and they're dead for real. And the character, Spencer, Dr. Smolder Bravestone, and he's having a conversation with Moose Finbar, which is Fritch, two individuals. And he says, I can't do this, Dr. Smolder Bravestone. I can't do this. Moose Finbar says, I saw you fix a helicopter in midair. And then Bravestone, he responds, It's easy to be a hero and brave when you have lives to spare. But it's a lot harder when you have just one. And Finbar, he reminds him, We have only one life. And that's how it's always been. We've always had one life to live. But it depends on how you live it. And I remember when I saw that movie, I, saw, I think I saw that movie two times, I fell asleep. <laughs> but I was off like last minute like, and I saw that scene. I was like, oh, I really like that scene. I really like that line. It reminded me of one life, one chance. The question to us is, who are we today? Who are you? And who do you want to be? And what do you want to do before God? God called us by His grace. not before people of fake persona of how others view us just as if God can call someone like Saul God can call us and he will use us and God saves you so that you may serve him in this one life that you have and with that if you could just bow your heads with me at this time An important reminder to us that God did not save us so that we can live in our own comfort and safety in our own life, living the dreams that we want for ourselves. But God saved us according to His grace for the service to the King, to Him. God gave you the Holy Spirit to empower you to empower you for his service meaning if you have faith in Jesus Christ you have been chosen for his service God saved you so that you may serve him and him alone not our own lives not our own comfort and the question is how in your life are you serving God through your life through your family in your work in your attitude in your worship to God how are you serving God God saved you so that you can serve Him and His people to bless others, to be a blessing to the nations. And that is the message of hope that has been given to us. To share the message of the gospel, to share the good news, to share the message of grace. Just as we have received grace when we spread the love and the message, the message of our Lord Jesus Christ. that by grace I've been saved not by works so that no one can boast it is not by works God and God you have called me to be your workmanship created in advance to do the good works that you have called us to do so right now at this time can we just come before God in our own whispers in our prayer before God And can we just commit our hearts and our lives to Him?
And we, can we turn? If we're going in a path, in a wrong path right now, can we just turn and repent and turn to the Lord? And with humility, seek His face while He may be found. He is here today and He hears us while we still have breath. Salvation is today. Salvation lies today. Not tomorrow, for tomorrow is not promised to any single one of us. But today, right now, may we turn to Him with humility. May we cry out to Him. Ask God to strengthen us. Let us look to Him and surrender our pride, surrender our lives, surrender our crowns, surrender our rights. Let's lay it down all at His feet and let us come and repent before the living God. Let us pray together.
Heavenly Father, we admit today that God, that you are the source of our lives. Without you, we have no breath. Without you, we have nothing. God, we pray that we will take hold of you today with everything that we have, with all of our being, no matter what our past was, no matter what we've been through. Lord, let us look to you, God, at this time with humility and know that, God, that today that there is grace available for us. So God, we humble ourselves, we surrender ourselves to you, we commit our lives to you, and we shout from the rooftops, from the whispers of our hearts, God, saying and shouting out that God, that we need you, Lord. We need you to come to our rescue. Lord, who else can we turn to? Where else can we go? God, there is no other name by which we are safe, by the name of Jesus Christ, by your grace. Capture us with your grace and help us to follow you in this one life, one chance that we have that God, this world has nothing in store for us. God, we count the cost. We count the cost of the gospel. We count the cost of discipleship. It's a costly grace that has been given to us. We commit our hearts to you. We will follow you. We will follow you for the remaining days. remaining breaths that we have in this life we surrender our hearts to you we commit our hearts to you God so have your way within us speak to us Lord speak to us and guide us as you spoke to Samuel guide us and lead us today we pray all these things in your precious son Jesus Christ let me pray and God's people pray amen amen and amen Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us this new day and for blessing us with this space and with the message you have delivered to us through Reverend Andrew this morning. Lord, we let go of all of our worldly gains and achievements before you, for you do not look at any of these things, but rather you search what is in our hearts. We pray for your spirit of humility so that our hearts may be found genuine before you and we place our entire trust in you, knowing that you will guide us and that you will always provide a way for us. We thank you for choosing us by your grace and by your mercy. You are more than enough for us, and we desire to honor you and to serve you in this one life that we have. At this time, we give you this offering and pray that it may be pleasing to you and be used to further your works and your glory. Please continue to watch over each of our members and protect them and their families this week. We love you and pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, um, <clears throat> I want to do something for, uh, I want to do something different today. Uh, we are very privileged and honored to have Reverend Jason and Samo Nim here uh, with us. And also today is uh, Josh's last Sunday as he goes back tomorrow. Uh, but not for good, right? Uh, you'll be coming back for teaching, uh, Montclair. And we don't know, but you know, Josh has been a blessing to us you know, over the years. He's brought newcomers. I think he's the only one that brought newcomers. And he's been such a blessing to us. You know, Josh, I was talking to Ronnie, uh, that I'm going to really miss Josh. You know, Josh is such a good man, a good young man, and I'm so proud of him. And I'm sure all of us were all proud of him, uh, just being able to just get to know him. And also, again, it's not done. We're going to come and visit in the summer, I promise. And... Uh, you know, this is a relationship that we're going to continue on, especially with Oregon Church supporting us. Uh, just a blessing and just the heart that God gave to Reverend Jason for us. 
Uh, you know, he's continually praying for us. And Moksan Samani, we're always praying for you. Uh, we have prayer evening every last Thursday of the month, and we're always praying. Uh, praying during morning prayer, just praying for just the partnership that we have. We don't have many partners, but we have uh, amazing quality partners, right? Like Life Reach in the Philippines, and then we have Oregon Church. And that's it for now. Uh, but again, it's not about having many network or many different things. Uh, it's always about the quality of the relationship. So I want to do something special, and I want to do something different for us. And as we have already prayed for Josh, uh, last week, I would like to pray for Reverend Jason and Samonim for their ministry in the Oregon Church and for the vision that they have. And I know that in the future, Reverend Jason also wants to do missionary work as well. He has a huge heart for missions, and so do we. Um, you know, it's been uh, pretty sad, you know, not being able to go on missions for two years. I think that's the longest I've ever gone without going on missions. So I feel like, like, oh, I want to really go back. You know, I really miss the airplane. The I might get in the plane with you tomorrow, Josh just to get on the plane, just to smell the airport. Um, but um, we just want to pray a prayer of blessing. Um, and just really with everything that we have, I know that there's not much we can do. Um, you know, we're grateful. We're looking at it like this. Uh, we're kind of like, this is how we felt at the old church. Uh, I think when we were part of a big adult church, uh, when the churches weren't supporting the next generation, I always felt like uh, they always thought, oh, it's, it's a bother, right? It's a, it's a bother, and is it really necessary? And, you know, we had services at 4 p.m., uh, 8 a.m., and I think always this, uh, we were just an afterthought. And again, it's not a victim mindset, just the truth of what happened. And when I, whenever, uh, you know, Tani Moksanim or the pastors or the Chanunims, they would say things like, you know, the adults come first, adults that. I always felt, and they always, and even when we go on retreats, I would try my best to not use so much budget. Right? I remember compared to every other ministry, our budget was so small. It didn't matter because we can do it. By the grace of God, we can do it. And I always thought in my mind, you know, I always thought of it like a parent to a child, like to an eight-year-old. You don't tell an eight-year-old to pay rent. Uh, you don't... Uh, tell a child to do this and that, but it's the moment where at that age you're uh, really investing, uh, showing love, and thinking about the next generation. And when you came and you shared your heart and just to support us, you know, I felt like a, felt very blessed. Uh, I think it's, it's the lack of the support and things that happened over the years and Felt like a, like a child again, in a good way, in a, in a very good way, where uh, just very thankful. And, and, and what happens to an eight-year-old? They grow up, they become a, an excellent man and woman, and, and what do they do in return? They come back and they serve uh, their parents again. And it's a cycle, right? And, and we are blessing to them, and we encourage them, and we, with the blessing that we have, we, we, we give back. And we do the best that we can. So uh, right now, I know that we don't have much. I mean, even though this building is beautiful, and it's not about the building, but uh, the least we can do is just pray uh, for you, a blessing for you, and just for what you're doing for us, and just our heart, our gratitude towards you. Um, and we will do our best to do the best that we can, and to... 
give our best in everything we do. So thank you, everything. But before we say thank you, um, if Musanim, if you guys could, 여기 좀 앞으로 주시면은, and then um, if everyone can come and can we just all come and on? Let's not uh, be shy. It's okay. Yeah. Um, we could, let's place our hands on the on Muksanim and Samanim. Come on, guys. Let's, don't be shy. Let's just place our hands. Hands of blessing. Come on. It's okay. Just quietly in the whispers of our voices, just from the heart. This isn't a show or it's not about how loud we are. But from a genuine heart, can we just pray a prayer of blessing upon Reverend Jason and Samanim in the ministry that they are doing right now in the place where God has called them. Let's also pray a prayer of protection and guidance and encouragement and the empowering of the Holy Spirit to be upon them at this time. Let's just pray a blessing, a prayer of blessing. Let's just pray a prayer of love with the heart of love. Let's just go ahead and pray from the whispers of our hearts with the genuine heart, with the heart of love, with the love from Christ. Let's just come and pray together. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, God. We just pray, Holy Spirit, that you just come strengthen us. Strengthen us and empower us in the ministry, God, in the
eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. Father, whether we may be far away from each other geographically, God, spiritually, God, we're united for we are under Christ. So God, we look to you and we commit our hearts and our lives to you for the remaining years that we have left. God, we commit our hearts and all of our devotion for your kingdom and for your glory. I pray, God, you use us in our respective places. I pray, God, you would encourage us in our respective places that whenever we feel discouraged, let us be encouraged today knowing that believers everywhere are undergoing the same suffering and the trials for your name's sake. For God, help us to have the mindset of Christ to humble ourselves as you humbled yourselves, God, before, uh, before everything else, God, you came, the incarnation of Jesus Christ who came, who became fully man, fully God, who lived on this earth and who died for us. So God, I pray you would help us to commit our hearts to you as you committed everything to us, God. Let us give our everything to live this life for the remaining years that we have. I pray for the Kim family. I pray for Joshua and for his generation. I pray, God, that you just strengthen. God, I pray you guide him to make the right decision. And there is no plan B or C in God. In you, there is only plan A. There is only one plan, and that, that is your plan, the call that you have placed in our lives. So God, let us live this one life, one chance, well, for your kingdom and for your glory. And I also pray for protection, God, right now. from attack against any attack of the enemy we pray against it in Jesus name Satan you have no power or hold over this household over this church over our ministries God we surrender our hearts to you we pray all these things in the name in the all powerful name in the name above all names the author and the perfect of our faith the name above all kings the king of kings the lord of lords the name of Jesus Christ we pray all these things in your precious son Jesus Christ let me pray we pray as God's people amen and amen, amen.